My name is Rob and this is songbirding. This is a special episode made for the International Podcast Month. So I'm out in the Halton Region Forest in Halton Region of Ontario, just west of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And it's mid-July, and we've got a lot of birds here. So I do a lot of in-the-field recording, outdoors, some might call it environmental recording. As you can hear right now, I'm surrounded by birds, red-eyed vireos, scarlet tanagers here as well. And probably, yeah, there's a cicada as well too, so insects as well. And so I've learned a fair bit over the past few years of recording bird songs and the last year of making the songbirding podcast and so this is kind of a how-to making of the songbirding podcast but more so focused on what if you wanted to make your own environmental recordings field recordings out in nature natural spaces what are the tips and tricks uh, difference between devices, and so on. So here's some hazards to recording audio outdoors, specifically in natural areas. things you have to look out for when uh, recording outdoors is a lot of anthropogenic sounds. Uh, Human-caused sounds like airplanes, other people out hiking. I find that closer to the city people tend to be louder when hiking. Uh, not when alone, but as a group. They'll tend to be pretty loud. And so one might have to spend quite a bit of time sitting and waiting for people to not only pass you, but get out of earshot too. 
another hazard that I'm dealing with right now, bugs, uh, mosquitoes, black flies, that kind of thing. Um, depends on the season, location, etc. But often when recording outdoors, you're going to stop at a spot for a significant time. Makes you an easy target. Also means swatting bugs away will make noise. Also, the uh, buzzing sound might get recorded. Bonus points for authenticity there, though. Although for me, when recording birds, places with lots of bugs tend to have some good birds, because they need to eat. A lot of birds are insectivores. And so wetlands, swamps, marshes, that kind of stuff. Lots of bugs, but lots of birds. Wind noise can be a bit of a problem. Most people know this. You get the windsock or windscreen or dead cat, whatever you want to call it, onto your recorder. And that will help some. Um, it's not going to eliminate all wind noise. It will allow you to tolerate slightly more wind um, without one. Perhaps even the motion of walking might be enough to set it off. Um, with various levels of them, you can begin to tolerate a very light breeze to a light breeze, probably at best. Beyond light breeze, then you're still going to get uh, some wind. You're still going to get some wind flare-ups. But that's where editing can come in and help sometimes. Though if you have a lower voice like I do, uh, you can end up cutting out voices quite a bit by doing that. So stay away from the wind if you can. It's very windy. The best bet you have is finding shelter from the wind uh, and trying there. But even then, if you're in a season such as spring or summer, like I am right now, you'll have leaves to deal with. And leaves can be, depending on the type of tree, quite loud. So, if you're going to record outdoors, be mindful of the wind conditions. Especially if you're planning to record in an exposed area. Here you can hear a bit of an example of a louder tree when it comes to wind. I believe I have an aspen up there. They have small leaves that get very loud in the wind. Oh, and here's another hazard, cicadas. If you're not meaning to record cicadas, they can really dominate a soundscape. Another couple hazards to audio recording when recording in nature would be if you're not alone and with some other people. If you're using an omnidirectional microphone, you're going to pick up a lot of walking sounds and it may actually obscure everything else. If you're using something like the Zoom H1N I have right now, which is directional, it is XY directional, so it's kind of bi-directional, but uh, directional nonetheless. Um, not omnidirectional, at least. You will not encounter so many problems 
as that old kind of background that will go into the background which you can probably hearing hear me walking but it's not so overwhelming right now and how about one last one last hazard of audio recording in the field at least I find it as a hazard at least this is something I always worry about and uh, occasionally it becomes a problem is um, not actually recording while you're out. Uh, say you accidentally hit the stop button or you forgot to hit record. Uh, so most recorders have some kind of lock function where you can avoid that issue. So make good use of that. So hit record and then lock it. On uh, the H1N it's called hold. That will prevent that kind of problem. So that way you have to unlock it before you can actually uh, do anything. Hit stop, etc. Uh, the other is batteries, running out of batteries, so just check as you're starting your recording. One thing I also do is I tend not to hit stop very much. Uh, if I see someone coming along, some other hazard, maybe I'll put my recorder kind of to the side or even throw it in my bag, but I'll leave it running can always edit it out later it's not a big deal these files while maybe big compared to standards years ago when you're using wave files these days uh, gigabytes aren't that big of a deal so just leave it running if in doubt then you know you're not gonna have problems with forgetting to hit record also means you might get more serendipitous recordings and be ready to go at any moment. So one last hazard I just thought of, uh, the case noise of your recorder. For example, if the H1N I'm using right now, the case is plastic. Handling it causes a lot of sounds to come up, especially since I tend to run with it on max gain. I have it on 10. So just touching the recorder, let alone holding it and walking with it, and my hand will go over things and make little noises here and there. That's a bit of a hazard. In fact, on this model, the buttons for the uh, volume up and down themselves will rattle a little bit as you're walking, as you're handling it. So I've actually taped it down with some scotch tape to keep that sound from getting in the way. But beyond that, I bought a stick kind of a basically a little tripod uh, selfie stick kind of thing that I can hold and I screw the uh, recorder into that so that I can hold the handle rather than the recorder itself and of course there can be handle noise so you got to be careful there that your grip is steady and not moving you don't have like a ring on or something that's going to bang against it and that you're not shaking the recorder too much when walking. And uh, yeah, that's easy. That's something fairly easy to kind of test for when you get your device. Go out and just do some recordings. Try to make some noise, try not to make some noise, compare them, the recordings, see where, where the device's flaws are at. And um, that will help you when doing field recordings.
So I've got a short segment next that I recorded a while ago about different recording devices and microphones that might be handy if you're looking to get something for doing outdoor recording. So I'm just going to demonstrate a few different recorder setups, first with the iPhone, then with the iPhone with a plugged-in high-gain omnidirectional microphone, and then with an external recorder using the Zoom H1N, both with the built-ins and with an Edutage external microphone. This is a test with the iPhone, just without the uh, microphone. A lot of birds on here, and a car going by. There's a Tennessee warbler. Red-winged blackbirds. Another Tennessee. Some walking noise. Yellow warblers. This is me recording in the same environment with the Edutage EIM001 plugged in as a microphone. So you can hear some American Robins, the other warblers, just a couple Canada geese going overhead. This is an omnidirectional, so as I turn around, there's not much difference. very light breeze right now, it might manifest into some wind noise. Black-capped chickadee. It's a northern flicker. And you probably hear a fair bit of urban noise. The same environment again with the Zoom H1N. Using the built-in mics. These are, I believe, what they call XY mics. Stereo. So as I turn, you'll hear difference, different environment. Um, so it's not omnidirectional. I have a fairly, fairly hefty wind screen on this. and I have the gain turned to the maximum. I'm pointing at an American Robin, he was just floating. And as you can hear, a fair amount of urban noise here. And in this case, I'm recording uncompressed wave files.
and this is the Zoom H1N with an Edutage ETM001 plugged into it. So this is in omnidirectional now, a high gain microphone. Because it's high gain, I've turned down the uh, gain to about seven or so. Otherwise it is just way too loud. You can really hear that Tennessee warbler. A lot of birds all around. As I turn, there's no change because it's omnidirectional. Um, there will be some sound as I walk though. Maybe not on this ground as much because it's hard dirt. If I get into grass, you'll really hear it. Walk on some mulch here. And those are some different setups I can demonstrate. So how about some specific tips on recording birdsong, specifically? So one of the mistakes I probably made way too often was to not record long enough. When you were in the field, especially if you're new to doing birdsong recording, you can feel like when you stand there for a one minute and record, that can feel like a long time. And you can feel like, well, I've got a few uh, iterations of this song, that's probably enough, and let's move on. And maybe if all things are perfect, that might be nice, but uh, turns out when listening as a podcast, that can, at times, feel a bit rushed, even at the one minute. Because... Um, I think there's a certain level of hyper-awareness of time when you're recording. You want to get as much as possible, and sometimes as much as possible means as many different things as possible. Uh, because of course, in an hour, you cannot record more than one hour of recordings. Um, however, if you really rush around, you could get several species of birds, but it could be, possibly, depending on how you edit a show together, overwhelming. There could be too many species to keep track of. Uh, the listener may not get much time to get to know that species, because maybe you know it really well, so one minute can feel like a long time for you. But for someone new to it, one minute is not very much. It's not much of an experience. So, 
always, when possible, uh, record more than you think is necessary. Other things can also happen. Um, Flare-ups from the wind that you just didn't notice. Uh, other little sounds that get in the way that you can't remove. Perhaps you make a sound that you didn't realize you made. Some other sound pops up that the, of course, the recorder picks up everything, but maybe your brain might filter it out a bit. I've had that happen before, where I just didn't notice a sound because it was a type of sound that I tended to just ignore. This mistake is easier to make with birds that sing rapidly, like red-eyed vireos. They're fairly rapid, usually. They can have a lazy mode where they're a little slower, but the faster a bird song is, the easier it is to misinterpret the amount of time you've spent with it. And another thing, depending on the species, you never know when you might encounter it again in under the conditions that are good for recording. I kind of doubt these are the last red-eyed vireos I'll be able to record this year, certainly, because they're so incredibly common. They like to talk a lot, all day, and they'll be here for another month and a half at least. But overlap that with the times I'm available to go somewhere that they're in to record, and the weather conditions, and there's a little less certainty. I think it's still pretty certain for a red-eyed vireo, but take another species like Scarlet Tanager, uh, they will tend to get a little quieter as the summer progresses, like many birds. So the overlap of when they are singing with when I am out recording and the weather is good and I'm in the right habitat, that may be something that will be a bit more rare this year and that the odds aren't necessarily great for getting another one. So be aware of that. It can also make for great um, just soundscape content. I do narrations in the field, which isn't terribly common. Uh, most recordists will avoid, like the plague, making any sound, let alone narrating over something as they're recording it. But it's good sometimes to have some clean recordings you can have ready to add narration in post, or just to have a nice, consistent soundscape for uh, teaching purposes, learning purposes. Maybe it's a bird you don't hear very often, so um, a lot of people in the last few decades have had to deal with learning birdsong by hitting a loop button on a CD player or um, looping on their computer or an iPhone app or a smartphone app. Uh, the same song recording that's only a few seconds long over and over and over and over again. And that can get pretty monotonous and might not be very representative depending on the species. If you listen to the same Baltimore Oriole song over and over again, you might not actually be able to recognize the species uh, because they don't, individuals don't all have the same song. They all have the same voice, but not the same song. So there are times when 
that doesn't actually help too much. So having extra recordings always good. Sometimes I'll in fact set down my tripod at a spot, plant it, basically walk away, uh, you know, hide it so no one sees it kind of thing, but uh, and hope that there isn't really any other humans around to make noise anyways. But uh, walk away, come back in a few minutes, and you should have some undisturbed soundscapes of the particular bird species you're targeting, or just the soundscape in general. So here's an example of a location that has virtually no anthropogenic sounds or noises. I'm in Cape Heard, just west of Tobermory, Ontario, in Canada. And about a mile from the nearest road, which is not a very heavily used road. About a kilometer also from the about a half mile from the shore where sometimes there might be motorboats but there's none right now the only thing I'll deal with here is uh, airplanes and so these black-throated green warblers stand out really nicely You can hear the sound of the lake in the background, waves, mixed with a bit of wind. There is one poplar tree here, which is going to be a little louder in the wind, but uh, the rest here is white cedar and black spruce. So even wind isn't a big issue. So as you can hear, I got several of these black-throated green warblers. And they're still singing even though it's about a half hour before sunset. This species can be very vocal. One of the tricks I'll do is at times I'll put another recorder out and uh, leave it hidden and walk away and uh, then I have some soundscapes when I go pick it up later. So I'm going to share a bit of that which was left here at this location with my Zoom H6. So for this special episode I'll put the soundscape I recorded with my Zoom H6 set out for soundscapes at the tail end of this episode. You can listen to that 
and you'll mostly hear that the song of the black-throated green warbler. special songbirding episode for the International Podcast Month was narrated and recorded by Rob Porter with Creative Commons music from Scott Buckley. You can learn more about the show by going to songbirding.com or searching for songbirding on your favorite podcast network or app.